Anyway, thank you so much for uh, allowing me this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you, Pastor Stephen Mamie, for giving me the opportunity to share. Um, this is an exciting time. Yes. It's the beginning of a new year. It's January. Happy New Year to everyone. Welcome to 2021. More than any other year that I can remember in my life, I have heard more people bemoaning all the chaos and craziness of a year, such as 2020. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I just can't wait for this year to be over. Um, There have been many wonderful descriptions that I've heard. I think uh, one of the most colorful yet polite description has been that of a dumpster fire, I believe, uh, is how some people have called 2020. With everything going on, it's, it's been crazy, is it not? I mean, we have seen things happen this year that we have never seen in the history of this nation, much less in our own lifetimes. Uh, things that, that many of us never expected to see. And, and I got to tell you guys, things are moving quickly. That's, that's one of the things that's really uh, been, been, just blows my mind is how quickly things have happened that have happened this year. I mean, could you have ever imagined that, a gov- that your, your own government would say, hey, you know what, I just need you to close up all the businesses. Just, just close them all. That, that, that blows my mind. I would have never expected to see that in my life. And yet, we saw that. We've experienced that, right? And we've had all kinds of lockdowns up and down and this and that. There's all been all kinds of stuff. But I don't want to recount all the troubles of last year because, hey, guess what? We made it through. It's done. It's over, right? And uh, we turn the page on the calendar. It's time for a fresh start. So, has anything changed? Is anything any different now than it was a few days ago? I I wonder, did anybody wake up Friday morning and find that uh, all your troubles just melted away? Did anybody wake up Friday morning and say, you know what? That debt that I had just disappeared. It's gone. Did anybody wake up Friday morning and say, you know those pains that I've been dealing with had just, just vanished? I feel great now. For the first time, I feel like I'm 20 years younger. Did anybody? Anybody? I don't see any hands. I believe God for it. Amen. I believe God for it too. But uh, that, that just because we change the calendar doesn't mean that anything actually changes, does it? We all experienced all kinds of stuff in, in 2020, and we're all hoping for better outcomes in 2021, yes? And let's face it for a moment, turning the page didn't do much. Whatever struggles you had last week, you still probably have today. They're still hanging around at the beginning of 2021. There's a sense that along with the new year, there's going to come this new beginning, and I think all of us hope to see peace on our streets this year. All of us hope to see fully stocked shelves when we go to the store. All of us hope to see lawmakers actually working on behalf of the people that are supposed to represent rather than fulfilling their own desires or or plans or whatever it may be. We'd all like to see justice and righteousness reign in this country and around the world. Amen? And I believe that we all need to continue to pray knowing that our God is able to do far more above and beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine. So in faith, we speak those things forth. In faith, we pray those things out. In faith, we hope and believe that 2021 is going to be a better year than 2020 was. Amen? But yet, so far, in the natural, nothing's really changed. 
just because we flipped the calendar, didn't make a big difference, right? But yet I believe that, that God is able to do, to do greater than that. And, and we've got to recognize that Jesus himself said in John 16.33, in the second half of that verse, he says, in this world you'll have what? Troubles, trials, tribulations, right? He goes on to say, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. That's a great promise. But I also want to point out what he said at the beginning of that verse. At the beginning, the, the beginning of verse 33, he says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. So as we venture into this new year and look forward to what lies ahead, although we know that there will be trials and tribulations ahead, the great promise is that in him, in him, we have peace. And that's some good news, is it not? Let's pray. Lord, we give this year to you now. And Lord, I pray that things would be better this year. For, for those that have had a, a rough year, Lord God, I pray that things would be better. Lord, we do want to see peace in our streets. We do want to see people doing the, the right thing. We want to see our, our elected officials, Lord God, actually representing the people that they're elected to represent. We want to see these things change, Lord God. We want to see your power at work in our society. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. I pray, Lord, that you give me the words to say to encourage your people, to challenge your people, and to draw people closer to you. Lord, have your way in this place today. Speak through me. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, as I was reading over the last couple of weeks, beginning to ask God what I should share with you today, what I felt led to, to begin with was going through the Gospel of Luke. And so I'm going to go ahead and read through the entire Gospel of Luke. Yeah. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it did seem appropriate as, we, as I began to go through Luke because the beginning... <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? The beginning of the Gospel of Luke, um, we find the, the, the birth of Jesus, right? We find the, the, the Christmas story. And uh, I kind of felt like, you know, reading through the, the Gospel of Luke, he, he has pretty good coverage of these events. Better coverage than CNN or Fox News, for example. Um, but the first thing that jumped out at me was before Jesus was born, Mary prayed this prayer in Luke chapter 1 uh, while visiting her cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And this is while she was pregnant with Jesus. And the prayer is called the Magnificat. Okay? And it's this, this prayer where, where she glorifies God and thanks him for, for being able to bear Jesus, right? Yeah. And there's some things in this prayer I just want to point out to you. First of all, in Luke 1, verse 46, where we're going to begin, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud and in the thoughts of their heart, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Wow. Mary had an understanding of God that I hope we can get a hold of today. Mary got some stuff that I hope that we can get ourselves you notice in verse 50 and then again in verse 53, she's actually quoting from the Psalms. 
She's speaking scripture over her situation. If you, if you look at your cross-reference in your Bible there, you'll notice that those are actually direct quotes. When she says, um, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. She's quoting scripture. So guess what that means? Mary knew the scripture. In order to quote it over her situation, we too need to familiarize ourselves with the scripture so that whenever trials come, whenever tribulations come, whenever anything comes, we can speak God's word over our situation. She went on to say, he has filled the hungry with good things. That's another, another scripture she's quoting there. She, she knew God's word. She was intimately acquainted with God's word. How many of us in here can say that we have become intimately acquainted with God's word, that we know what it says about our situation? That's something I think we can all strive for this year is to get to know it better. Look, I've been reading, reading God's word for, for years and years and years, but I know there's still so much more. And I, I know we all need to get familiar with that. Uh, we have to know scripture in order to be able to speak it out. You can't speak it out over your situation if you don't know it, right? But also there's some really great truths here that I want to look at, especially as we look back at 2020 and, and, and whatever. The first is that she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. In spite of everything that's gone on, can you look and say the mighty one has done great things for me this year? Yes. Absolutely. The fact that we're here, the fact that we're still able to speak his word, the fact that we're still able to, to, to meet and congregate, you know what? That's a, that's a big deal. I never thought until this year that that may be something that, you know, we may lose that right at some point. But you know what? It's become evident that many churches are not able to meet this morning because of the laws that the, 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 the different states have put in, in place. But thank God we can still do that today, and we're going to continue to meet together. Because there is, as, as Amanda said in the, uh, in the announcements a few minutes ago, there is, there is a power that, that, that comes just from rubbing shoulders with other believers, getting to know one another, and experiencing the relationships. Amen? She goes on to say, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Well, we've been praying over the last year at almost every prayer meeting, we've prayed that the fear of God would fall upon us yeah. and upon our nation. You know what? We need his mercy now more than ever. So that prayer, I think, is, is extremely valid. It needs that we need to continue praying that into this new year. Lord, let us experience the fear of God. What does that mean? Respect, reverence, understand who God is and the power that he, that he holds. Amen. He's done mighty things with his arm. He scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Thank God that you're able to do that. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Hmm. I believe that needs to happen in some areas of this nation. There are some leaders who are not abiding by the word of God. They're not living lives that would honor him. And they need to be brought down from their thrones. Amen? And he's the one that's able to do that. You know, even if our votes don't count, <laughs> his vote counts. Amen. Right? Yeah. But I'll stay away from the political stuff too much. But, but the reality is that he has, he's able to do that, and he's, he has exalted those who are humble. Lord, put in place some humble leaders who will submit to you and therefore walk in their authority. Right? We understand that authority doesn't come from being over somebody. Authority comes when you're under someone. 
That's, that's upside down with the, the, way things, the way people normally think. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent away the rich empty-handed. Throughout this so-called pandemic, the richest have become richer, while the poorest continue to struggle, even more so than ever, right? Well, here it says, he has filled the, hung- filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent away the rich empty-handed. I believe that, that in spite of what we see in the natural, that God is able to provide for those that need. Amen. And I believe he has. I believe that everyone in this room can say that God has provided for me and taken care of me this year no matter what. And I believe he can bring low those who have been exalted um, when, when they don't honor and follow him. So as we, look, as, we, as we look at what Mary had to say, man, she really got it. Yes. And so that's where I hope we get to today. But that's not even the bulk of my message. That's just the beginning, okay? It's the beginning of Luke. As you continue on through Luke, though, there's some really great stuff here. Because after this, Luke first gives us the, uh, the account of John the Baptist's birth. And then the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas, right? And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. You may have even read it to your family on Christmas. I know it's part of our Christmas tradition that we sit around and read the Christmas story beginning in, in chapter two. Um, some of you may even be able to, to quote it because of, uh, Charlie Brown and the Christmas special, right? What, what does it say there that now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that there should be a census, right? We're all familiar with that. I think it's funny because the Charlie Brown special isn't quite so special now that you can watch it any time. Back when I was growing up, you know, you had to know that you had to look at the TV guide, right? And know that it was coming on Friday night at 8 p.m. So Friday night at 7.59, you're sitting in front of that TV just waiting for it to come on. Maybe I was the only one. I don't know. But no, you're familiar with that passage, right? The, the passage of Jesus. And it, it, it's a great story. So, so Christmas, we're familiar with that. We go through that. But after the Christmas story, there's a, a short piece of, of Jesus being dedicated at the temple. Some great stuff there. There's little mention of his childhood, the, the event when he was 12 years old and stuck in the temple and his parents went on without him and they're looking all over for him, right? But it's not far that we get to, uh, to the beginning of his ministry. And by the time you get to chapter 5, it's, it's really the beginning of Jesus' ministry and, and the call to his disciples when he, when he chooses the first disciples. So first, we see Simon, Peter, James, and John. And I'm, I'm going to just kind of sum this up a little bit rather than reading through it. We'll, we'll read some of the other stuff later on here. But he had been in, in Simon Peter's boat preaching. Simon Peter was like done fishing. He'd been fishing all night long. He was tired. He was ready to be done. He was mending his nets, whatever. And Jesus said, hey, put out for, for one, more, one more catch. And Simon's like, come on, dude. I've, I've been up here all night long. I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to clock out. And uh, Jesus said, come on, just do it one time. So he goes and does it, and what happens? He catches so much that nets begin to break. He calls, he calls to uh, James and John and says, hey, come out here and help me, guys. They found, have so many fish that not one boat but two boats begin taking on water because it's so heavy, right? So they get this stuff to shore, and, and, and Simon Peter just, his mind is blown. And he, he, he bows down and says, hey, get away from me, Lord. <laughs> get away from me. This is, this is too great. You're, you're, you're greater than, than anything. And they were amazed. And then what does Jesus tell them in verse 10? He says, in, in chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says, from now on, you'll be catching men. In Luke 5, 27, we see the call of Levi, better known as Matthew, and after that, he went out and looked at a tax collector named Levi, sitting in a tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. 
That right there is pretty amazing. That Jesus simply said, follow me. And he said, okay, I'm in, right? Just like that, he made a decision to follow Jesus. And just like that, his life was changed. He goes on to say in verse 29, and Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house. There's a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the groom fast while the groom is still with them, can you? But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. All of this gives us the context over the scripture that I want to focus on today, and that is verse 36. He is also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the patch from the new garment will not match the old. Sounds pretty simple, right? I've read that, I don't know, probably a hundred times or more. Never really thought about it, though. I mean, just get this idea in your head. You just got a new shirt for Christmas that you really like, but you got your old work jeans that have a tear in them. Are you going to cut a hole in the middle of the brand new shirt and put it on the jeans? That's silly. That's stupid, right? Because you ruin the shirt. You can't wear it now because it's got a big hole in it. And you still got old cruddy work jeans that probably look a little funny now because they got a discolored patch on them and they still look, you know, all messed up. Why, why would you take a brand new garment, a brand new shirt, brand new pants, whatever, and cut a hole in it to fix an old one? That doesn't make sense, does it? He goes on to, uh, to say in the next verse, in verse 37, he says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants for new. For he says, the old's fine. When Jesus shared these parables, who's he talking to? And what's his point? And these are pretty short little stories. Do they really mean a lot? Okay, don't take... Don't cut a hole in your new clothes and put on your old one. Okay, I get it. Is there anything more to it? Is that it? I mean, that's pretty, pretty simple stuff. Okay, don't put new wine in old wineskins. I got it. Um, what else you got, teacher? that it? Pretty simple, it seems. But when Jesus is talking about this, in verse 29, it tells us that they're at a party at Matthew's house. So after Matthew is called, Matthew, Levi, same, same guy, two different names, um, I don't know if one is a nickname or whatever. It's kind of strange. But anyway, same guy. He has a party at his house, and, and they're sitting around at the table. And who are they sitting with? A large crowd of tax collectors and other people. Who are these other people? I don't really know. Later on, the scribes are going to call them sinners. So I guess they're probably not the uh, most pious or religious people in the, in the community. They're probably your average Joes. Whoever the tax collectors would have hung out with, I guess, right? But it indicates in verse 30 that there were Pharisees and scribes who were in attendance and observing. They're hanging out with them, but they weren't taking part. 
as they would not be seen eating or drinking with sinners. That was, that was they were too good to, to eat or drink with these people. But it was cool to hang out with them. I think it's kind of strange there that, that they would feel at ease or at home enough to hang out with these people, but not okay to eat or drink with them. But the whole idea was that the law forbid this, and these people were people who made sure that they dotted every T and crossed every I to make sure that they had the law down perfectly, right? So I like the answer that Jesus gives in in verse 31 and 32 when, when they ask him, they say, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he said, it's not the healthy who are in need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. These scribes and Pharisees, they were righteous, and they knew it, right? They knew that they followed the law to a T. These guys were perfection in the religious sense. They did everything just right. So why would they need a savior? Why would they need somebody to to change the way they are. They're good, right? Yet they were too prideful to see that they too were in need of this new wine that Jesus was, was offering them. The scribes and Pharisees, they didn't think they needed anything that Jesus had to offer as they saw themselves as already being righteous because of their works. They'd worked very hard to keep the law in every respect and would, they were rather proud of this effort. You know, matter of fact, Jesus at one point, he, he says, look, you guys... You tie the, a tenth of your mint and, and, and dill and cumin, your, your, your spices. Well, that's, that's like, that's the tiniest little thing, right? If you have a, a plant of, of, of dill or whatever, it's a small plant to say, oh, I'm going to get 10% of this and give it to you, God. Like, wow, they were down to the penny. Everything, made sure they give their tithe perfectly, right? But yet they ignored some of the greater things like justice and mercy. Hmm. What it seems from the uh, conversation that, that ensued there, that the scribes and Pharisees, they're, they're kind of a little bit jealous. They're jealous of Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because Jesus and his disciples were enjoying the party. They're having a good time. They're eating and drinking. And they're like, well, you guys shouldn't be eating and drinking. You should be standing here like we are, not eating and drinking. They're jealous. They want what Jesus and his disciples have. They want this, but there's a problem. They recognize that in order to receive and have what they have, they've got to give up everything they've always known, everything they've always held dear. They were fasting at a party. How uncomfortable is that? I mean, really, how uncomfortable is that? If you're fasting and you're by yourself, okay, nobody has to know about it, no big deal. If you're fasting and you're, you know, it's out and about doing your everyday stuff, nobody has to really know, it doesn't really matter. Matter of fact, Jesus says, when you, know, when you fast, go ahead and keep putting oil on your head and make yourself look normal because don't, don't go around looking like, oh, I'm so hungry, oh my goodness, I gotta tell you, I'm so hungry because I fasted for two days. No, you, you, you don't, you, you present yourself as normal, right? But at a party and fasting, I mean, you're looking at the chip dip and you're thinking, man, I really want just, just, just one chip, right? I mean, the buffalo dip screaming your name. But no, you're not going to do that because that's not right. These guys are jealous. 
they're, they're, they're at the party, they're present, but they're not participating. Now, I imagine that uh, they'd have liked to have been eating and drinking, right? But they can't. The rules say no, and so they say we've got to stick by the rules. The Pharisees and scribes, they were quick to point out that Jesus and his disciples, these new disciples, were, were eating and drinking with sinners. Apparently, they had no problem, like I said, hanging out with them. They had no problem being there, but they had a problem with eating and drinking with them. I still don't quite understand that one to me. To me, that's weird, that you're okay to hang out with these people, to spend time with them, but only to look down your nose at them? Why would you hang out with these people? Why would you spend time with them if you weren't intending to take part in their lives? If you weren't intending to... Now, I'm not saying that as Christians we need to take part in every, every sinful activity, right? That's, that's a different story. We're not talking about... These people weren't abstaining from shooting up. These people weren't abstaining from you know, getting drunk with these guys. No, they were abstaining from eating or drinking at all, having anything to do with them. Different, different scenario there. But... Jesus doesn't condemn the Pharisees for fasting. He even says that their time will come when his disciples will fast also. I would certainly say that this is a time when his disciples probably need to take some time fasting and praying because we need God's power to be at work in our lives. Amen? But given this context, when Jesus talks about patching an old garment, when he talks about the the new wine, these religious people, the Pharisees and scribes, they want to point out the holes in Jesus' disciples. They want to point out the problems that Jesus' disciples have. But, but think about who these disciples are. Just a couple days prior to this, Peter, James, and John were out fishing. They're commercial fishermen, not religious, pious, religious folk, right? Just a day or two before, Matthew was a tax collector, he was sitting in his tax booth doing what tax collectors do. He wasn't thinking about the Torah. He wasn't thinking about following all the, the, the rules, right? So to point out their flaws is kind of silly. These are, these are new Christians, new believers. They're not people who have been in the faith for, for years and years. And yet, what do the Pharisees and Sadducees do? Hmm. I see that you're eating over there. Hmm. Shame on you. I see that you're drinking with that gentleman. Hmm. Right? They're, they're, they're prideful about this. They're pointing out the flaws. But they thought that, that the expectation was to be, to, to, the expectation of righteousness was simply piety. The expe- the, to be righteous, you had to do the right things. You had to cross your T's, dot your I's, do it all, be perfect. And, and it was all an outward thing. But Rather, the disciples were reaching out. They were connecting with people. They were meeting people where they were at, and unlike the Pharisees who thought that they could attain, could attain this righteousness by their own works, what they wanted to do is they wanted to patch up the garments of the disciples. They wanted to say, hey, let me show you something, Jesus. Your disciples need to be a little bit more like us. You see, they don't need to eat here. They don't need to drink here. They don't need to do this. They don't need to do that. You know, there's other parts in Scripture where he talks, gets on them for washing their hands or not washing their hands, for, for grabbing a handful of, of wheat on the Sabbath, like, oh, shame on you. Trying to pick apart every little thing and pointing out the holes in their garments and saying, see, they need to fix this. They need to patch this hole. They need to patch this hole. But what does Jesus say? 
said, no, 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 no. We're not going to patch this hole. We're going to give them a whole new garment. These guys are going to be changed completely, right? What I think is the spiritual garments of these Pharisees and scribes had been patched so many times that you couldn't tell what the original garment even looked like. It was just like a patchwork quilt they're wearing, right? Because every little thing was patched so that it looked whole, but in reality, it was nothing to it. It was falling apart. They were so used to the old wine of their piety and self-righteousness, strictly adhering to the law, that they were not interested in the new wine that Jesus was offering. They were the ones who would say, as it says in the, the end of that verse there, that the old is fine. The old is good enough. I'm good with the old. I'm comfortable with the old. Right? I'm comfortable with that. I'm okay with that. I don't want this new stuff because that new stuff, that, that's going to that's gonna cause some problems. They're not willing to change the way that they thought about things or the way that they, they lived. They wanted to keep things the way that they were no matter how futile it was. Let's face it. They all knew that nobody could be completely righteous. They knew themselves that they weren't able to do everything completely, right? While they may have been doing it outwardly, in their heart, they just knew. They knew that their thoughts, they're the only ones that knew their own thoughts, right? And yet, they still put on the show. Because that's what's expected. That's what they were used to. They wanted to keep things that way no matter what. They had to know that, that these, these old garments were worn out. But to make the change meant making some real change. The Apostle Paul came to this realization himself. He sums it up really well in Philippians 3, 5 through 9. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Wow, without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I, was discar I discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Some translations say filthy rags or even dung so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul also echoed this understanding when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If indeed all things have become new, then why do we so often hold on to the old? Why do we go back to old habits, old relationships, old ways of thinking, old belief systems? I'll tell you why. It's because instead of allowing Christ to make us new, and to no longer, you know, living for ourselves, but living lives that honor Christ. Instead, we just want Jesus to patch up those rough spots. All I need is, Jesus, I got this anger issue. If you just patch that up, I'll be all right. I'm good. Jesus, I, 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 need, to help, I need to help me find some work because I haven't been working for a while. But if I had a good job, everything would be fine in my life. Jesus, I just, 
you know, I got this little, I got this little secret issue. I, I got this porn addiction. If you could help me with that, everything else is good. I have no problems. I have, I have a drug addiction, Jesus. If you could, if you could patch that drug addiction up, the rest of it, I mean, the rest of my life's pretty good. I'm a hard worker. I'm a good guy. We want to patch it up. We want to fix the old garment rather than putting on the new garment that Christ wants to give us. These scribes and Pharisees, they were so used to the old wine of their piety and self-righteousness, strictly adhering to the law, that they weren't interested in the new, new wine. They, they were the ones that, as I said, they, they said the old one is fine. They're, they're good with that. What does Jesus say, though? He says, I don't want to patch the rough spots. I don't want to fix the little, the little issue that you think, because that little issue that you think you have is a whole lot bigger than you realize. That little tear in your spiritual garment that you think is nobody knows about, <laughs> if you can see from behind, everybody knows. Trust me. It's a big tear, right? The, the, the little issues that we think just need to be patched up, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I can't patch it up. It, it's not going to work. We got we to gotta renew the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And we're going to make, he's going to remake us into his image. Amen? Now, in today's world, most of us have a variety of clothes. I know that I have certain clothes that are already stained from having worked out in the yard or used it for painting. Maybe when I tried to play mechanic and get all greasy or whatever. And so those are my work clothes, right? And I try to wear them when I do the work stuff so that I don't dirty my nice clothes. But inevitably, in my house, anyway, what happens with me is I start a project and I get halfway into it. And I look down and realize that I'm wearing the stuff that I was supposed to be keeping clean. And so my wardrobe of filthy rags gets bigger and bigger. And my nice clothes get repurposed. Right? That, that's the way things are here. But when in the spirit realm, we don't get to hold on to the old stuff. You know, in the spirit realm, we don't have a closet that we can go back to and say, well, today I'm going to wear this filthy garment and tomorrow I'll put on the nice one. We're either old or new. Right? Now, certainly this truth applies to those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. This is a you know, one-time deal, right? You get the new garment from, from Jesus and, and, and you make him the Lord of your life. All of a sudden, everything's changed. And he'll absolutely make you a new creation and that's what the word tells us. That is the promise that we have. Amen? But also, this truth applies to those who walk with Christ for years. Like the religious people of Jesus' day, we try to live righteously in our own strength and by our own effort. And once again, we're simply trying to patch an old garment. I'm guilty of this, guys. You know, we've all come to Christ and we accept the the, the new creation. But how often do we go back to God and say, God, I I need a renewing again. I need a fresh garment. I've realized that I've been living in my own strength for a while. And he wants to give you a new garment. As you may already know, when, when new wine is put into old wine skin, into new wine skins, it's, the new wine skins are supple and, and are able to expand. So as, as the wine ferments, they're able to, to expand and, and, and handle that, right? If you put new wine into old wine skins, as it begins to ferment and all that stuff, it expands and it bursts the wine skins. That's the picture that we have in that next verse there. And you know, I've, I've heard great teachings on that whole process of how they would take the wineskins and what they would do to, to get them to be stretchy and all that kind of stuff, but how, you know, after a while they get, they get brittle and, and, and all that. But the Pharisees to whom Jesus uh, was talking to them, 
they could not accept, and they knew that they could not accept the new wine without the whole new wineskin. They couldn't accept his teaching without getting rid of their preconceived thoughts. You can't have the new wine and still retain the old wineskin. It doesn't work that way. If you want the new wine that Jesus offered, you have to allow him to give you a new wineskin, to be changed completely, amen? Uh, so, I'm here to tell you that, that if you expect 2020, 2021 rather, to be any different than 2020 was, don't look for the help from the government. Don't look for help from just working a little harder from a self-help book. There's not a book out there that's going to help you be better than what you are. In the, I mean, in, in reality. There are some good, good self-help books that help you to, I don't know, change your, your outlook on things, to help you maybe have a, a better uh, eating habits, uh, exercise habits, things like that, right? And those are all good things, but none of those things are going to change who you really are. If you're expecting a difference in 2021, all you can really do is allow Christ to make that change. So finally, as we begin to wind down here, I want to look at these first disciples just a little bit and what they did when Jesus called them and how we are to respond when he, when he calls. First of all, number one, they changed plans. Peter, James, and John had no intention of fishing anymore that day. When Jesus called them, they were ready to clock out. They were done. They put in a long day, they were tired, and they were done. But Jesus said, hey, go back out there, and what happened? They were blessed with this enormous catch. Similarly, Matthew was sitting in his tax, tax booth, and when Jesus instructed him to follow me, I guarantee you that he did not have leaving that office on his calendar for the day. That wasn't in his day timer. That wasn't on his eye calendar on his phone. Nothing like that. He didn't have plans to follow Jesus that day. But when Jesus said, hey, follow me, what did he do? He changed plans immediately, right? Yeah. Number two, they changed their aspirations. In Luke 5, 11, after Peter, James, and John were told that they'd be catching men, it says this. It says, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. That's a, a change, right? They left everything right there, their aspirations, because up until that point, their aspirations were, hey, we're going to build this fishing business, and this is going to be a great business, right? We're going to do some great stuff. We're going to make money. We're going to catch the biggest fish, maybe make it on that TV show, Biggest Catch, you know, whatever. But all of a sudden, that changes. Their aspirations change because Jesus said, follow me. Likewise, in verse 28, Matthew says, uh, it says that Matthew left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. The same thing, right? Just left it behind. Said, hey, I'm done with the tax collecting thing. I got this new plan. Now I'm going to follow Jesus. Like, just like that, their aspirations changed. What they wanted to do in life suddenly changed. The whole idea of the new garment or the new wineskin, it means that in order to truly follow him, we may have to take a new direction. We may have to do things differently than we've ever done them before. We may have to give up some of the old stuff that we're comfortable with and some of the old ways that, that we did things. And number three, they changed who they spent their time with. 
Sure, Matthew threw a party and invited all of his tax collector buddies, right? But for the next three years, he spent the vast majority of time, his time with Jesus and 11 other disciples. He no longer hung out with the tax collectors that he had been hanging out with before. Now, that doesn't mean he disowned them. It doesn't mean he didn't continue to have a relationship with them. But that, didn't, that wasn't his closest relationships. That wasn't his community anymore. His community became who? Jesus and, the, and the, other, the rest of the 12, right? That was his community. He had to make the change in who he spent his time with. These guys, you know, it's kind of strange. You have Peter, James, and John. Okay, they were all fishermen. They probably knew each other. They probably fished together for years, right? But they didn't know Matthew. If they did know him, I can promise you this. It wasn't on friendly terms. <laughs> right? He's a tax man. He's the guy that comes and always wants money from us. The 12 disciples didn't all have great relationships to begin with. But they had something in common. And that was Jesus. And so what happened? These guys began to submit to one another. They began serving alongside one another. They began serving Jesus. And it changed something in them. Because now all of a sudden, they have a new family. They have a new group that they hang out with. There's a community there. Guys, I want to warn you that what we saw in 2020 is not the end. I'm afraid that some of the things that we saw happen in 2020 may just be the very beginning of some of the problems that we're going to face in the future. And I got to tell you, if you're doing that, if you're, if you're having to go through that stuff alone, God help you. I don't think you can make it. We need to be working together as a community, as a church. You know, this church is community life church for a reason. Why? We want to have community with one another, that we trust each other, that we love each other, that we care for each other, that we can meet the needs of one another. Because we're going to have to do that. A time may come when we have to depend on one another, and we have to, number one, be willing to depend on each other. Number two, be able to trust the people that we're dealing with, right? And then number three, be able to give to one another as well. As we look to the new year ahead, we're not going to be able to do things the same way that they've always been done. We cannot keep trying to put patches on old clothes. When we look at changes that were thrust upon us, we can see that half-hearted Christianity just doesn't cut it. Half-hearted belief doesn't, doesn't hold water. It doesn't work. It's an old wineskin. He's calling us to follow him completely. And he's giving us the opportunity to change direction, to begin a new life with him. Finally, I believe that he's calling us as believers to truly begin living in community with one another. You cannot follow Christ in isolation. We must begin to work together as the body. The word tells us that we are the body of Christ. What does that mean? Each part doing it, each, each person doing their part. Each part of the body doing its thing so the whole body can function properly. As we launch into this new year, I just challenge you to take a moment. Matter of fact, let's bow our heads now. Let's ask God to check us out, to renew us, and to pour in his new wine.
Lord, your word tells us that you make all things new. Lord, we just read the importance of having a new wineskin in order to accept the new wine that you want to pour into us. So Lord, change us. Change us, Lord God. Give us the new wineskin so we can accept what you have for us, Lord. And we're, we don't need a past job. We need to be renewed. Renew our hearts, Lord God. Renew our minds. Open us up to receive what, what you have for us today. If you're ready to truly make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity. If you're watching online and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, this is a great opportunity to pray along with us. If you're here in this room and you've never made this declaration, now's the time to do it. Say, Lord, I recognize that I need you. My best intentions are merely rags compared with your righteousness. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart today to make me new, a new creation as you promised. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, and live big in me. In Jesus' name, amen.